0: Hi, I'm Angie Wisdom and welcome to my podcast, Sharing Wisdom. I'm an author and a keynote speaker and a master certified coach. And for the past 25 years, I've sat across the table from fascinating people, helping them break through their obstacles to achieve success in their life and business. The One thing I've learned and believe to this day is that you are capable capable of change, capable of greatness, capable of anything you're willing to get serious about. And I want to help you get there. That's why I'm sharing all my wisdom and interviewing some of the most successful business leaders and athletes in the world so they can share their wisdom too. So get present and ready to learn. Welcome to Sharing Wisdom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sharing Wisdom. I'm your host, Angie Wisdom. And today Amberly Lago joins us. She is the author of Grit and Grace and talk about overcoming adversity and being able to be resilient. I mean, she is truly the master of this. And that's why I wanted to bring her on today so that you all could take a little bit away as far as how do you overcome your adversity? How do you stay resilient in creating the life and the business that you want? Amberly, welcome.
1: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so grateful to be here.
0: Thank you. Oh, of course. You have such an amazing story. And I really do want to jump right into that because I want people to have context over why you wrote True Grit and Grace and what your life experience has been like around that. So I'm going to cut right to it. And I want you to take us back to the accident that you had to kind of what created all of this in your life.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I never imagined that I would ever write a book. I mean, I did something completely different. I was in the fitness industry for 26 years. I was sponsored by Nike. I had a, a company where I taught other trainers how to get certified to become trainers. Um, and so I was doing infomercials by Body by Jake. I'm really dating myself right now. But um, I was doing fitness videos. I was in shape and in health. And that fitness was my life. I basically lived Mm -hmm. my life on the gym floor. And before that, I was a dancer. And then everything changed in the blink of an eye when I was coming home from work. One day, I was on my Harley riding down Ventura Boulevard. I know you know where that is because Mm -hmm. you're in Newport. And I had an SUV shoot out of a parking lot. And they T-boned me. I was thrown about 30 feet, slid across the asphalt, and um, looked down at my leg, and it was completely broken into pieces. Mm -hmm. I mean... It's weird. It's crazy to look down at your body and see. And I thought my leg was going to fall off. So I would not let go of my leg because I was in fear. It was actually going to fall off. Um, There was blood everywhere. I didn't know at the time, but my femoral artery was actually severed. And I had a guardian angel because I had this guy came over right away. He took off his belt and he made a tourniquet on my leg and he saved my life. Um, The paramedics... Angie, the paramedics were right down the street of the coffee bean, So they heard oh, wow. the accident before they even got the call. So they were running towards me. So I felt like it was um, a miracle that I got paramedics there so quick. I had somebody make a tourniquet. I was rushed to the hospital. And because I'd lost so much blood, my vitals uh, were going down. My organs were sh- starting to shut down. They couldn't mm-hmm. control my pain. They put me in induced coma. And... The first thing that I remember when I woke up from a coma was they said, you've got a 1% chance of saving your leg. I'm so sorry. This is like a war wound. There's nothing we can do for you. We're going to have mm. to amputate and being a dancer and in the fitness industry, I was like, that's my livelihood. I, uh, like, yeah. I cannot have my leg amputated. I need my leg. And I was like, when I heard 1%, I was like, okay, okay then there's a chance you say there's a 1% chance. Then there's a chance and we need to find a doctor who's willing to take that chance with me. And it took, a lot of grit. It took by the grace of God, that's where the true grit and grace came, Mm -hmm. um, that I got transferred and through, um, Dr. Wiss who saved my leg and a team of doctors, they would come in my room and huddle. Like it reminded me of like, before you huddle before a football game, they would come and huddle and decide what they were going to do. And, um, it took 34 surgeries and they saved my leg. And that was really the beginning of my healing journey um, because soon after I was diagnosed with um, a nerve disease called complex regional pain syndrome which is dubbed the suicide disease because those there's no uh, cure for it. I mean I've tried mm-hmm. everything. In fact, in a few days I'm flying to Costa Rica to try a whole new treatment and some people think oh that's crazy, it's scary. it's like when you live with chronic pain, Mm-hmm. You are willing to do anything to get out of pain. And I've learned so many lessons along the way. I've not only learned, um, a different kind of mindset, a different kind of perspective. I have learned to rebuild a whole new business. I was in $2.9 million worth of medical expenses and went from that to, we just bought our, and a lean on our house to we just bought our second house and I have a thriving mm-hmm. business. And so I share that not to be like, oh, I'm so great. Like I started a new business. I share that because if somebody like me who has no college education, who was hopeless at one point, who I lost my confidence because I'm, I lost uh, the belief in myself. I'm scarred from the hip down. If I can climb out of that and start over at a later age, then it's possible for anybody. We can mm-hmm. all do it. It's never too late
0: so well said and i gotta tell you I've, you've got me in like complete goosebumps over here listening to that story and the fact that you were even conscious for that to see your leg and and the grace of god that the people were there to help you i mean it's just mind-blowing to me and the first question that really pops up into my head is did you have this kind of grit and grace before i mean did you have this outlook of just overcoming adversity, no matter what, before that happened to you? Well, that's such a great question,
1: Angie. That is such a great question. I think that every struggle, every challenge that we go through helps develop our grit and our resiliency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I come from a family where we didn't have a lot of money. In fact, there were a lot of Christmases where my mom would say, I'm sorry, this year, we're not going to get to have presence. Um, uh, My mom worked three jobs at one time. She was a single mom for a while and then remarried um, my stepfather who has passed away, but who sexually abused me. So I I came from a background of adversity where there was addiction there um, in the family. Uh, There was mental health problems I say problems because they were never addressed. They were, Mm -hmm. uh, so I I don't want to put a fence on how I said that to people. Um, I think every problem can be addressed, but these just weren't addressed and they were taken out on me. Um, and so by the time I was eight years old, I had a babysitting job. By the time I was 13, I had a paid job teaching dance. By the time I was in high school, I had four jobs Mm. And I had to work for everything that I had. I bought my own car. Um, I moved to California from Texas, and the only way I was going to get to do that is if I saved up the money to do it and did it on my own so i didn 't grow up with with a lot and or even people that were like hey we we 're going to fly you to California and we 'll find a nice apartment for you and I mean, I moved to California and I had driven there. Now I know you know where this is, but I was in yeah. Van Nuys. I stayed in this little crappy motel in Van Nuys. Mm. I had no idea I was in the hood. Okay. I, it was a, mm. it was a dangerous <laughs> gangs everywhere. I mean, there were cigarette holes in the, the wall of the motel and I actually uh-huh. propped up a, a chair underneath the door because I was worried the guy that worked at the front desk was going to come in. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. And the next day I woke up and I was like, what's different? I was like, oh yeah, somebody stole the top off my car. I had a little Suzuki Samurai and somebody stole the top off of it. Going through each hard moment, going through all of these challenges taught me different lessons. I never... Mm -hmm. Got in. I didn't get into that victim mindset. Now, yes, after my motorcycle accident, I was for a short moment in that victim mentality until I decided this is not going to define me. Mm-hmm. You know, once we know that we've got a choice, we take our power back. Yeah. And when you know that you can start to, well, I think it all starts with accepting like where you are on your journey, who you are, like getting radically honest with yourself. But then once you accept where you are, you can take some action steps to make your life better. And so I Absolutely. think everything hard that I went through prepared me. And and also one other thing I think that had a huge contribution to to my mindset was being an athlete. So I was in track and I was a dancer and I was taught to push through pain. I was taught Mm -hmm. to push harder. I was taught to keep going. I was taught to you show up when you say you're going to show up. I was taught to be a team player and all those things. I think it's really, really important for kids to have some kind of outlet into sports or something that they can learn. Like my daughter, she's a horseback rider. She's an equestrian. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Being a horseback rider prepares you for so much more than just riding mm-hmm. a horse. She has learned resilience to get back up on the horse. She's been thrown yeah. off a million times. Grit, uh, patience, trust, perseverance, Um discipline to show up when she has an appointment. So I think it's really, really important for our kids to have that outlet for something to help them later on in life, because I know it helped me.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can hear it. And I always like to, when I talk to people who have these stories of adversity and being resilient and overcoming adversity, I like to understand whether or not that was something that they were you know, kind of prepared with and the way you grew up definitely gave you some skill set in that. And I always find it fascinating because I have a similar, not on every level by any means, but a similar upbringing. You know, I I worked at a very young age. My mother was an alcoholic and I was very independent. So it's like, When you're a child, the interesting thing is, is that you do the things you need to do to survive. Yeah. So you don't really become a victim per se, you know, because you figure out how to cope, you figure out how to survive that childhood, but sometimes it leads you into victim mentality later. So you definitely had some preparation for it. And I think sometimes to the, to the listener might say, well, so that you were born with it or you had it, but like, what about the people that run into this? kind of adversity later, and they haven't ever been conditioned, almost like you're saying, like kids have to have this outlet, so Mm -hmm. that they do have some kind of conditioning to be prepared and to overcome things. So when you talk to people, and you coach people, and you speak, what do you say to those people who really haven't had that conditioning? And they're like, well, here I am, here's my adversity, and I'm a victim to it. And I don't know how to get out of it.
1: Okay. I think the number one thing that I could say, and this might be the mm-hmm. most important thing for everyone listening today is that you don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. I thought for so long that I had to get through things alone. I had to do it all by myself. I had to just grit it out. And what I have mm-hmm. learned is that Grit without connection just feels like resi- feels like resistance. It feels like you're clawing mm. your way to the top. It feels like you are just, you know, hitting roadblocks, hitting burnout, uh, hitting yeah. rock bottom. But when you have grit with connection, that's where resilience is sparked. And so don't mm. do it alone. My mistake was I felt like I had to do it alone. Like I had to figure yeah. it all out because I did it by myself. For so long. I didn't have help. And you know what? I tried to do it alone and it didn't work. And I say that from experience, even with like sobriety. So I was never a big partier. I was never a big, you know, I was always career focused. And after my accident, when I running was how I coped with anxiety or fear and stuffed all the feelings down. I was like, I, I just ran and worked out. Mm-hmm. And when I was stuck in a hospital bed, all these feelings that I had been stuffing down started to rise to the surface. And, um, I was trying everything for pain. I mean, I was on 73 homeopathic pills and 11 different prescription, prescription medications a wow. day yeah. and nothing was working. I had tried every kind of, like out-of-the-box treatment. I'd even had like a shaman drip oil on my forehead, Mm -hmm. you name it, from Eastern, Western medicine. I was like, I'm going to try anything. And when nothing worked, I remember having a drink and thinking, gosh, why didn't the doctors just tell me to dock back a glass of wine because that kind of helps numb out the pain. And that worked until it didn't. And the only way that I can stay sober is if I am connected with a community of sober sisters Mm -hmm. who we text each other every day. I go to 12 step meetings. Um, and even as an entrepreneur, man, it can be lonely. You can get in your own Mm -hmm. little bubble of trying to figure things out. And that's why I created my mastermind. So other women know they don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I mean, yeah, we're strong together, but I mean, alone, but together we're unstoppable.
0: That is so, I, I'm sitting here like just thinking about what you said. And every time you talk to people about overcoming adversity and how do you do that? I don't think I've ever heard the answer that you gave. Most people go into this step of like, well, do this. I'm probably even guilty of that myself, right? Like you got to create a relationship with yourself. Like here's some tips. Here's Here's how you shift your mindset. And you said something so profound of you don't have to do it alone. And that I mean, it's just kind of like making me think like, yeah, get support. I mean, here you and I are right. We're coaches, we're speakers and, and we support people all the time, but it's just such a simple, profound answer that well, a I great know. first step.
1: It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's simple, but you know what? It's the only thing that's really worked for me. Yeah. yeah. You can work on your mindset on your own. You can read all the books. I love reading books. You can listen all to all the podcasts. But I really, really think that what we need is connection. And what mm-hmm. we need I mean, hey, look, today I I have to admit something. I was going through a little bit of a, a pity party because mm-hmm. I had something that hurt my feelings a little bit. And uh I had one of my mastermind members who I had just written a testimonial for who she's amazing. And she left me this long voice memo just in tears, thanking me for what I did for her. And I mean, what I did for her, it it, it didn't take long. I believe in her. So it took a few seconds to write out a testimonial. I left her a message. I said, Hey, thank you so much for leaving me that sweet message. I said, because you totally turned my day around. I was having mm-hmm. a little bit of a pity party and, and that's the thing. One yeah. thing that really, really helped me in the hospital. And I mean, this could help whether somebody is laying in a hospital bed or they are sitting behind their desk, like wanting to throw their computer out the window. Cause I've been there too. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that has, that really, really helped me was being of service. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, I can't be of service. I've got this going on or, or I am in a hospital bed, or I don't know exactly what I'm doing. There is always a way you can be of service. And that saved me. That Mm -hmm. in the hospital, when I was in that hospital bed, like I was completely bed bound. I could not even get up to use the bathroom. I had to use a bedpan. I was making phone calls to clients I was setting up nutritional plans for people. I even had the nurses in the hospital, we had a little chair set over in the corner of the room and a curtain and they would come over and plop themselves down on that chair and sometimes cry to me and just vent and just ask me questions and I would be there to listen, sometimes offer suggestions. And then also I had the nurses that were like, "Hey, We know you're, you know, you're this trainer. What are some exercises I can do to get a better booty? And so I was doing everything I could to be of service, even though I was stuck in that hospital bed and it made me feel better. It made me feel Mm -hmm. like I was moving in the right direction. And now some of you listening might be going, well, I don't know how I can be of service. So I, I'm I'm just going to tell you something happened this morning. So I had been on zoom. It's a real, uh, Uh, life is lifey right now and I got a lot Mm -hmm. going on and I had been on zoom all morning and we have a a grocery store right down the street. And sometimes I'll just run in there and grab something quick to go to eat and come back. And I thought, I just need to get out for a minute. And I was going through the store and I see this lady pushing a buggy and she's got a red jacket, red boots. She is hot. She's like probably 70, but man, she's taking care of herself and she looks Mm -hmm. good. And I walked past her and I said, wow, I love that outfit. I was like, you look hot. And she looked surprised. And she goes, wow, you just made my day. (laughs) The thing is she made my day because I loved being able to do something, say something like that to her. And I could see her just light up. And it came from a place Mm -hmm. of like genuinely acknowledging how awesome she looked and yeah. I honestly don't get out that much. I'm either in my office or I'm traveling all over the country speaking. And so I mostly go to that one store. So everybody knows me in that store because that's the only place I go. And huh. I'm walking out and like the lady at the florist is like, Hey, Amberly, Hey, I'm like, Hey, how are you? You know, it just makes you feel good to have that human contact and to go out mm. and in Be kind, like acknowledge somebody. If you can reach out to, you know, like I have a gratitude practice and I reach out to, there are six of us in our God squad group and we write down Mm -hmm. 10 things that we're grateful for each day. And we, we share that with each other. So have some accountability, find somebody that you can practice a gratitude practice with, go out there and see how you can genuinely support or be kind to somebody. And it is life changing. It gets you out of that victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And it, it it puts you in that victor mentality.
0: Yeah, it really does. And as you're saying that I'm going back to like COVID days, and I remember my clients, you know, businesses frozen, you know, depending on what industry they were in. And it was like, You just start talking to people, start being that ear, start serving people. Well, I can't, my business is, no. know, you can have conversations, listen. And it was like, it was pivotal moments for some of those businesses and clients because they were being of service of understanding how their clients were really stressed and what was going on in their life. So It really is that simple from as little as a compliment to, you know, opening your ear and being supportive of being in service. But, and I love what you said, but I think what people have to understand is you have to be present to do that. You Mm -hmm. can't just be walking in with the blinders onto your grocery store and so stuck in your head or thinking about what you have 30 minutes from now. Oh, and I've been guilty. Yeah, I've been guilty of that. Sure. We all have. Right. We all have, but mm-hmm. to be of service like that, you have to be present to find those opportunities. Or mm-hmm. you can go through your whole day with the blinders on just thinking about what you have to do and what's next and all the stuff. So it's important that yeah, you you pause, you look around and you be present of what's going on around you so you find those opportunities. Um oh, I, that's
1: so good, Angie. You're yeah, so right yeah. about Being present. And there's something very magical about being in the present moment. Cause I mean, I, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD, which kind of makes sense. Um, but I can like get caught up in thinking about all these millions of different things. And I know that when I can be in the present moment that I just, you can spark more creativity. Mm -hmm. You can spark more joy. Like to me, that's where you find your joy is when you are in the present moment. So I try to be where my feet are planted. So, Mm -hmm. and you know, my 15 year old daughter helped me with this, I think when she was about Mm. 13. So I was in my home office and I walked out and I was on my phone and I was typing on my phone and she goes, mom and she was trying to talk to me. I'm like, Hey, wait one minute. I'm trying to finish this email. And she goes, well, if you're still working, you need to go back in your office. And mm. I was like, Oh, you're <laughs> right. Okay. I hear yeah. that. So I try to, I now, even today, even if it's past my work hours and I need to get like a deadline done, I don't do it out out in the house, I come to my mm-hmm. office and I sit down and I do it. And then when I'm out of there or out of here, which is hard because I love yeah. my work so much yeah. that I could literally I do that all day. Um, yep. I, and I love my family. So it's hard. It's like a balance. I don't know yeah. if it's ever yeah. really a balance, but it's alignment, being in alignment and being present in the moment.
0: It is. It's so true. Um, the joy aspect is big and I love that your daughter did that for you, you know, just kind of. She's something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kids are cooking she like that. is
1: something else. She's a little entrepreneur.
0: Oh, of course. Look where she came from. Right. <laughs> so I've got a question for you. This is always interesting to me too. I love this topic of, do you have to kind of hit a rock bottom to find a motivation. You know, you often hear people's stories where they either had kind of a poverty motivation, right? They lost everything, or they had a mortality motivation where they almost died or they lost a loved one. But there's some kind of like life changing overcoming adversity moment similar for you Mm -hmm. that it's like, oh, it changed everything. So my first question is, do you feel like you are more And I use this word lightly. Successful, more creating more meaningful success after your accident than before.
1: Not at all. Okay. I mean, different, different for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like your your pain pushes you until your purpose pulls you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, at a very very young age, I I knew from a young age that what I wanted to do what i loved doing and that was dance and so mm-hmm. and how i really discovered that is and it wasn't dance it was it was honestly if i want to dig down deeper into that it it still relates to what i do now and that's to bring joy to people
0: mm-hmm. cuz
1: i love seeing that light come on in people i love seeing that yes. transformation i love seeing them start to believe in themselves and just be Free And and so how that started as a young kid, I mean, young, I mean, I was probably, I don't know, six years old, Mm -hmm. Uh, every Friday night after the football game, football's huge in Texas. And after the football game, I don't know how, but my mom would let me go with... um, our family friends, they, their their daughters played in the band and so the whole band went to a place called the Royal, it was kinda like the Dairy Queen. Mm. And they would put money in the jukebox and they would put me on the table and I would dance <laughs> all night. I'd tap dance all night. I mean, and just oh, dance and I loved seeing the the joy that it brought people. People laughed. People smiled. People clapped. People started dancing. And I thought,
0: mm-hmm.
1: man, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do forever. By age eight, I knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles and become mm-hmm. a dancer. And so I was determined to do whatever it took to make that happen. So I think that, yeah, sometimes people have very traumatic experiences that lead them to going, okay, I'm going to make a choice to become successful. I'm going to take these lessons I learned and I'm going to teach others and I'm going to be successful. But I don't think we need to rely on motivation Mm -mm. at all because Mm -mm. motivation leaves. We're not always going to be motivated. I'm not always motivated. We have to rely on discipline. And some people don't like that word discipline. But you know what? If I wasn't disciplined as a dancer, I never would have made it as a dancer. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't disciplined as an athlete, I never would have set a state record for running the fastest mile in the state of Texas. If I wasn't disciplined, I wouldn't have ever I, I wouldn't have a successful personal training company with all these trainers that worked with me. And if I wasn't disciplined, I wouldn't have a top 1% podcast. Because look, my podcast isn't the best podcast. I'm not the best interviewer. It's because I've been disciplined and I've been persistent and consistent. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what it takes. And I think that, you know, people differ. Like, to be honest with you, my two brothers come from the same household as me. Some abuse, some not so good situations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of my brothers sits on death row in Texas mm. and the other brother has been in and out of rehab and, and out of work trying to get his life together. And that's not yeah. my story to tell, but I'm telling you the difference in between. You have to make a decision. It's yeah. not what happens to you that defines you. It's what you do with what's left.
0: Yeah. It's so key. And and I love that example because oftentimes, and even my sister and I, we live totally different lives. I mean, it's not anything, you know, similar to what your brothers have, but like just the perception and the lens that you look at life through and the way you viewed your upbringing, you know, I always say, like, your past does define you, but you have to define your past. Mm, And that's good. If you don't define it, to the way that you have, right? And known that you were going to do something to use all of that for good, then yeah, you become a victim of your past and it does define you. But It's just always such the magic question, I feel like though, for people who haven't gone through something traumatic that don't have this crazy story where they feel like they need to like, well, if I had that moment, right? It would shift everything in my mind. And I remember... I don't know. uh, Damon West. um, I love Damon. He's amazing, isn't he? I love him. He said, and we were laughing about it because he goes, well, you know, people love uh, sports. People love prison stories. And, you know, and I said, and people getting in trouble or something like that. I'm, I'm slaughtering that. And I was like, Well, man, I either need to get in some serious trouble, you know, or or find a way to get on a professional team, you know, but it really is true. And so I want to figure out, I want you and I to talk about this. And if you have insights on like, how do people find, and you used a great analogy of like your pain pushes you until your purpose pulls you. How did they get to that point where the purpose is pulling them if they haven't had this pain that's pushing them enough?
1: Well, I think every time that I've switched career, I feel like I've lived a million lives, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because my husband always says, oh, you just won't die. You just, you've just been, you just keep, God keeps spitting you out. That's what he says. And I mean, we laugh at stuff now. People might be like (laughs) offended by that, but no, we've had to use humor to get through so many surgeries and so much crap we've been through. But I think that through every time I've wanted to transition what I'm doing. So when I was a professional dancer, I knew at a young age, like 25, I'm retiring because I worked Mm -hmm. with dancers that were 25 and older and they were like old and bitter. Like they were Mm -hmm.
0: injured.
1: Yeah. I was like, I am going to finish at the height of my career. I want to finish strong and transition into something else. I do not want to be bitter. I do not want to be old and bitter. I'm going to do something else. And so I had this amazing career as a dancer. I traveled all over the world. I mean, it was unbelievable. I couldn't get, Mm. couldn't believe I was getting paid for the things that I love to do. And then when I decided to stop, I had to stop and ask myself, okay, what brings me joy? What do I love doing that is fulfilling? Mm -hmm. Um, And what would I do if I didn't have to like you know, pay for a roof over my head. What would I do if I didn't have to make a live, like didn't get paid for it. But, um, and that was working with people. I love people. I love connecting people and connecting with people. And so that's when I decided to, and I love being like working out being physical, anything with movement. And I had, been teaching dance since I was 13. So it seemed to be a good fit to, to move into the fitness industry. And so I did that. And then it was a really, really hard choice when Mm. I was like, Oh my gosh, I remember somebody, a a trainer friend of mine came over to the house and she goes, I was stuck in the hospital bed that we had set up in the living room. And she's like, well, what are you going to do now? You can't train clients. And I, I burst into tears and I was like, what do you mean I can't train clients? Are you kidding me? Like I was devastated. Like what, Mm. who are you to tell me I can't train clients? And obviously looking at me, you could tell (laughs) wasn't going to be quite the the way it was before. And so again, I asked myself after I tried and tried and tried to go back to training and I, I realized, you know, we, we, we don't need to, uh, try to fix what's broken. Sometimes Sometimes we need to forge ahead and just Mm -hmm. figure out what we can do instead. And so, um, I thought, well, again, what brings me joy? What do I love doing? What do, what would I do if I didn't ever even get paid for it? It was like working with people and helping people with their transformations. And so that's when I went and got certified at that time as a life coach Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for anyone listening who's like, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm sure it's right in front of you. It's something that you are so good at that other people, it might seem easy to you, but other people are challenged by it. And I would ask yourself, what is that thing that you love doing that comes easy to you, that Mm -hmm. you do all the time, that people ask you about all the time? And, And let me tell you something what I would ask this, what is it that people ask of you? Maybe they, they slide into your DMS and they ask mm-hmm. you those same questions over and over for me. Um, it was in my DMS. They were asking me, well, how do I become a speaker? How do I start my podcast? How do I write my book? Well, how do, how did you build your Instagram up? How did you mm-hmm. start to really go from nothing on Instagram to a following and do a Ted talk. Like those are the questions I was getting over and over and over. And I was answering them one by one getting on calls yeah. just because I wanted to help people. And then I thought, you know what? I, 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 there's no more time in the day. Maybe I'll just start this mastermind. Mm. And that's how the unstoppable life mastermind was born actually, mm. because I was like, I want to show people that they can be unstoppable. And, and I'll never forget When I launched it was on March 16th, 2020. And the reason I remember that date is because I was launching it on my birthday and it was the day California shut down with COVID, like completely shut down. And my husband was like, you are seriously launching something called unstoppable when the world just stopped. And I was like, right. Yep. I sure am. And we've been going strong ever since.
0: The (laughs) grit part of you. Yes. (laughs) Like uh, just a bigger challenge. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Mm. What you said in there, and this is what I want people to really listen to and take a look at is the fact that you said, what would you do if you didn't have to get paid for it? You know, if you didn't need to make money from it. And that's where people get tripped up is when they think about what is, you know, great brings them joy, what they love to do. But they don't think they could ever make money doing it. And to me, it's like if you love it that much and you're good at it and you're passionate about it, oh, you can make money. You can make more money doing it than you could make money doing something that you're not passionate about, that you clock in for or that is kind of checking that box. So that's a big block remover that people need to look at. Like, what would you do that brings you joy if you didn't have to get paid for it? And it's And then when you get because, paid yeah.
1: for it, it's like, <gasps> oh. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting paid for this. It's like a bonus.
0: I mean, yeah. And yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, the things that people ask you to do, like it's often what you're gifted at. You overlook because it's so easy to you, you know, Mm -hmm. and you think that anybody could do it. So you overlook it as a gift and it feels so easy to you that you don't think you should get paid for it. Because it comes so natural, like we're conditioned to think we get paid to do really hard things.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: And sometimes it is that thing that comes really, really easy to you because you're so passionate about it It was where you're going to make the most impact and the dollars will follow. So I love that. Thank you for working that out with me for people.
1: No, oh, well, fantastic. thank you. I hope that I hope that's helpful. And yeah, and you know, oh, I think it is. I, I think that the more you start to take action and the more that you keep promises to yourself and the more yeah. that you are doing those things, then it gives you the confidence. I remember, I mean, when I first started training clients, how uncomfortable it was for me to just ask for, oh, this is my rate. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first started my mastermind, I was like, it was uncomfortable to say this is what it costs. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just like, you know what? I know what I can help you with, what I can empower you yeah. with like I know. I know what I can do. And when you believe in something and when you love something, so much, then it gets easier. Then you're like, Mm -hmm. then you start to know your worth. Like, Oh no, this is what I know I can help you with. This is no, what Mm -hmm. I know that I am
0: good at helping you with. Um, and it changes everything. It does. It truly, truly does. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions for you. Two more questions I want to ask you before we wrap up here. One being, Uh, You know, I have a book, The Non-Negotiable You, and it's all about like the version of you that you need to be the non-negotiable version to accomplish those non-negotiable dreams. I want to know for you, like what, as you were building your company, as you were going through these different changes, what was non-negotiable for you in your life?
1: Well, I have non-negotiables and I, to be honest with you, I let them slip a little bit and then Mm. I slipped. So, Mm. uh, I think it's so, so, such a great question, Angie, you're so amazing. You're such a good interviewer and I'm sure that's why people just love you and your show. Um, so I always had non-negotiables and gosh, a little over two years ago. So I had about five and a half years of sobriety and Mm. things were getting good. And I stopped making a, I started letting things slip. Like I was like, Oh, I missed my workout. Oh, I'm Mm. I'm snacking on food and not taking like eating the way I should. Exactly. Mm. I'm not making it to as many 12 step meetings as I should. And and that, and some, a lot of back back to back to back to back things happened that stressed me out and I lost my sobriety mm-hmm. for one day and I knew I didn't feel, uh, it was, it was terrible. I immediately felt horrible yeah. and I just went to bed and the next morning I got up and I called my sponsor and I thankfully got right back into the program and now it's been about two and a half years of sobriety since I lost it five and a half years ago that was a wake up call for me, how important non-negotiables are. Mm-hmm. And so for me, non-negotiables are, uh, moving my body, working out. Like I'm in a nice kind of shirt, but on the bottom, I've got my workout pants on. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm working out, you know, I've got yeah. a, a gym set. I love going to the gym. Preferably. I love going to the gym, but I also have a studio set up Stairs where I can get a workout in if I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, prayer is a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, I wish oh. I was better at meditation. I still mess up on that. My gratitude practice is non-negotiable. Um, and last, m- my connection to God non-negotiable. That's yeah. part of prayer. But but uh, drinking water, like basics, getting back yeah. to basics. Absolutely. Like I have to get basic. Like. Do I drink enough water? Am I eating the right foods? Am yeah. I taking my supplements? Am I praying? Am I doing my gratitude practice? Am I working out? And mm-hmm. and then last but not least, because this is real, real important, is spending time with the people that you love. Like I want to spend time with with my daughter who's gonna be graduating in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. husband and you know, and so we all have things that 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 Really help us, and I think it's important to for you to decide like yeah. what are your non negotiables, what helps you thrive, and what are the things that if you skip those things, you might slip like I did. You yeah. know, yeah. And, and luckily, but- I got back, but I think it's real important to figure out what your non negotiables are
0: for sure. And I I can't let this go unsaid now that you said it and shared this with us, and thank you for being vulnerable about it about slipping up, but. What every listener is probably wanting to know right now is how did you turn it around in one day? Because the normal trajectory for people when they fall off course is it takes too long to get back on. They beat themselves up and all of a sudden it's days and it's weeks and it's months. You turned around and got back into your sobriety one day later. How did you do it?
1: Well, I immediately had shame um, and I immediately had fear. Because how mm-hmm. I went out was I, you know, I, I got sober for being an alcoholic and mm-hmm. I went out and I took, cause I took a pill. I had a leftover pain pill and I knew I took that pill for the wrong reason. I took it because mm-hmm. I wanted to numb out. I wanted to stop the, the feelings in my head. I just wanted yeah. to, I just wanted an escape. I just escape, wanted some yep. relief. And, uh, but I knew I took it for the wrong reason because I got a high pop pain tolerance from crps and that really really scared me because i've never had a problem with pills Mm -hmm. or ever and i have a healthy fear of that and that scared the crap out of me and so Mm. i knew in order to to be sober and to have the life that i've always imagined i would have to be radically radically honest and that was with myself And that was with my sponsor. And so I think it's really important for if you're struggling with something, like I said before, don't do it alone, get in the middle. And so for me, I have a very close relationship with my sponsor. I am, you know, the leader or the secretary of, of recovery meetings. I get in the middle of meetings. I want people to know if I'm not there, they're like, "Uh Oh, what happened to Amberly?" Like, mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need that accountability. Yeah. Um, but you know, my, one of the top core value for me is honesty. Like mm-hmm. if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't trust yourself. You're going to yeah. lose confidence. You're going to, you're in, and, and everything else starts to slip. And so I think that it was by the grace of God. I have a a close relationship with God. I've got an incredible sponsor. And I knew that I had to be radically honest with myself because I I have a healthy fear. And, um, yeah, so that's how.
0: That, I mean, beautiful. And it's interesting that what you just shared, you got support, Right. And at this full circle, one of the very first questions I asked you on how do you overcome adversity? You know, how do you what do you tell people? And you're like, you don't have to do it alone. So full circle to the beginning of our conversation, you did that. Mm -hmm. But what's also really interesting is, you know, I view non the non-negotiable you as certain characteristics versus then you have some non-negotiables in your life. Right. Literally chapter, I, I can't believe I don't know, but chapter six or seven in my book, one of the non-negotiables is trusting yourself. And wow. that's what you just said, like you've got to trust yourself. And without that, you know, it, it's really, really, really challenging. And so even though you had maybe slipped on one of your non-negotiable on a daily basis, you had that characteristic of trusting yourself and being honest which oh, left you
1: through yeah it? well it re- it really scared me, and believe me yeah. I beat my, I did beat myself up for a long time, yeah. but I like i said i didn 't do it alone, and I had a community of women who loved me back mm. into it and accepted me and forgave me until I could forgive yeah.
0: myself so good, God Amberly, this has just been. One of my favorite conversations. Oh, Thank you. I just adore you.
1: you. I'm so oh. <laughs> grateful for you. It, this has been one of my favorite conversations because mm-hmm. you're such an incredible host. And I just appreciate you having me on and being able to share with your audience. And, and if there's anything I can do for you or your audience, please reach out to me. I mean, I, I, you can reach me at amberlylago.com. You can text me at 214-818-7378. That's actually me texting you back. Some mm. people are like, they'll text me and they'll be like, is this really you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's why it took me two <laughs> days to get back to you because it really right. is me. And so, yeah, just please have some
0: patience, but it is me. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that so much. Um, You all who are listening, like Amberly is the real deal and oh. it's not always that you get someone who writes the book, who has lived it and who embodies it. And and again, your full circle of everything you said shows that. So I appreciate you being on here so much. And again, you guys can find her at AmberlyLago.com. You've got your unstoppable mastermind coming up. I think it's in April in it is.
1: It is. It's April nineteenth and twentieth in Dallas, Texas. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. I've got John Gordon, Ben yes. Newman, Rachel Luna, Rudy Ricksteins, Henry Amar. I've got a panel of speakers speaking on like how to, you know, do a TED Talk, how to, you know, do branding, how to write your book. Um, and Mastermind members are taking the stage. I've got. I love uh, it. Yeah. It's going to be really exciting. I'm, I'm super excited about it.
0: So fun. So fun to watch you from Instagram. Um, you all follow, follow along. She put out great content, um, the mastermind event, so much good stuff. So again, thank you. And for those of you who are listening, if you know someone who needs to kind of gather up their grit and grace and overcome adversity, share this episode, um, pass Amber's information along her number, her, her website, reach out and, um, you know, tune in to those people who can support you. You don't have to do it alone. So thank you, Amberly. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you found your dose of wisdom for the day. And remember, just don't take it in. Live the wisdom and share the wisdom. If you like this episode, give us a like below and comment. Let me know what you think. If you want to be sure to catch all the episodes of Sharing Wisdom, hit that follow button. If you want more of Angie Wisdom, you can go to angiewisdom.com and sign up for Words of Wisdom. Or follow me over on YouTube and Instagram at Angie Wisdom Life Coach.